millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days, you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on fan of history. Yay! We a, yay! We have a special episode again with a repeat. He, he, he must like me. Gary Stevens sure. from History in the Bible. Hi, guys. Welcome, Gary. You know, this was one of our, a very popular episode for our podcast. Oh, gl- glad it was. Yeah. Dan liked it very much. Um, I had three people that I know personally that said they enjoyed it. Ooh. <laughs> that you know personally? Personally, well, yes. If, if you like statistically magnify it, that must be like millions and millions of I didn't think of it that way. So, yeah, here we're here again. And, and I, ever since I heard your podcast, path, path, you know, episode, I should say, on Deuteronomy and the Deuteronomist, and it's also in the time frame that we're in now in our Fan of History podcast is the, uh, the mid-600s BC. I don't know. I've been fascinated with it, and I always said to Gary, I will have to do a podcast on Deuteronomy because it's really interesting. And so here we are. So we're going to do a podcast about Deuteronomy. And it's apropos, like I say, because it's right in our time frame of our podcast, and and here we are. So um, I would, uh, I'll kick it off because Gary knows about Deuteronomy, you know, inside and out. I've learned about it, and I'm going to talk about that. I'll talk about the history, you know, how it started. So we'll just, I'll get started on it. So, so Deuteronomy was supposedly found in a temple when Josiah was king of Judah. So Josiah was born in 648 BC, and he became the king of Judah in 640, 640 BC after his father, who was King Ammon, was assassinated. And that's kind of a spoiler for our podcast. We didn't get to him yet. 
he was only king for a year, so something was going on. So Josiah was the grandson of Manasseh, who was, as we know, was the evil, was, was portrayed as quite evil in the Bible. Oh, yeah, wicked, wicked, wicked man. Wicked. He's always told as wicked. Even, even sometimes when I would do research for this, and I'll you know, look up scholars, and they'll say, Manasseh was wicked. Okay. <laughs> he was wicked. That's a compliment that some today, right? Like, oh, that's a wicked guy. <laughs> and the Hebrews had a devil of a time explaining why, if Manasseh was so wicked, he reigned for the longest reign of any of the Davidic kings. That was a big problem to them. And how did they, how did they solve that problem, I think? Basically, they said that um, God's vengeance was visited a few generations later, which seems to be like a tremendous cop-out. Yeah, it's sort of like hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Yeah. Well, I would think of it like as God is like, has, if um, they would probably think God, sort of time is, goes different for God. He'd like, you just notice you pissed him off, and you know, 60, 70 years later is when he comes down hard on you. <laughs> yeah, maybe he was busy doing other things. I mean, yeah, time just, you know, if you, if you were like a billions of years old, I imagine like 50, 60 years is, is a blink of an eye. But we really don't have a lot of records on um, Josiah except the Bible. I thought, you know, I'll talk all about Josiah, but there's really not much except for what's in the Bible. And I think a lot of times when you, you listen to a podcast or you read history and someone just sums it up, I mean, this is this a short passage. So I'm pretty much just going to read a short passage. I cut out some of the hard words and extras, but I'll read this passage. So this is how Deuteronomy came to be found. Here it is. It's from two kings. It's not from Deuteronomy. It's from two kings. Starting at 2 Kings 22, chapter 22. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his forefather David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent the secretary, Shaphan, to the temple of the Lord. He said, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, and have him get ready the money that has been brought into the temple of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people. Have them entrusted to the men appointed to supervise the work on the temple. And have these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord, the carpenters, the builders, and the masons. Also have them purchase timber and dress stone to repair the temple. So soon after, Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan, who read it. Then Shaphan the secretary went to the king and reported to him, Your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and supervisors at the temple. Oh, and by the way, uh, Shaphan told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And then Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and all Judah about what is written in this book and what has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us, 
So then Hilkiah the priest and some other guys, I cut all that out, went to speak to the prophet Huldah, who was the wife. She was a prophetess, so she was a female prophet. Yeah, if I could just interject there. Certainly. Huldah is one of only four female prophets mentioned in the Bible. There's um, Huldah, Miriam, who's Moses' sister, Deborah, and someone else I've forgotten. Uh, and this is the one and only cameo, special cameo appearance by Hulda. <laughs> you know, it's funny, Lev. So it's always when I talk to you, too, and I could, I could prepare for these for hours. And then right when I'm talking, I'm like, oh, I just had an epiphany. Like, around the same time, there was some prop female prophets, you know, um, running around in Assyria. All right. Um, yeah, there was um, Ezra Haddon had a... There was a prophecy that Ezra Haddon was going to be overthrown, that the seed of Sennacherib would be destroyed by this prophetess from Haran. So could have been an era type of thing. Yeah, it could have been like a, a wave of feminist prophets. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm not talking about the children, the, the servant of the bones from Anne Rice with the, what, what the female witch did to the man. Well, that's sort of one of my jokes. I always talk about that book. So, so this is what the prophetess said. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. Tell the man who you sent to me, that's meaning Josiah, this is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on this place and its people, according to everything written in the book the king of Judah has read. We're going to bring fire brimstone disaster because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and aroused my anger by all the idols their hands have made. My anger will burn against this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. But because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord, when you heard what I have spoken against this place, that day would become a curse and be laid waste and all the people. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your ancestors and you will be buried in this place. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I am going to bring on this place. Then they took this answer back to the king. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part, for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. 
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So just a couple of things before I like turn a lot of this over to Gary is um, Josiah, so he was 26 years old when this happened. And that would make this, if this is all correct, would be the year 622 BC. I do have a question for Gary and like, Two questions. First is, did Shafan read this whole thing? Because it's a pretty long book. I know just the, you know, listening to it on YouTube is two and a half hours, so I'm not sure. Really? Two and a half hours to read it? Well, that, that sounds about right. And, like, what was on this scroll? Like, what's, what's the deal? Well, it's believed that the core of the scroll is the um, central law code, which I think is about eight chapters of the whole. And I think it's chapters 16 to 24, something like that. That's believed to be what this scroll was. Oh, so the scroll that they showed Josiah wasn't the whole book of Deuteronomy. It was just the one, the law part of the scroll. I mean, if you look at Deuteronomy, it's pretty clear that lots of things were added later. Because there's there's fairly clear references to what the Israelites should do when they're in exile. Oh, I, oh! when they're in exile? Taken from this place. So bits were clapped on, certainly, as late as uh, around about the year 540 when the Babylonians took them off to Babylon. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little later. Uh, maybe, yeah, maybe a bit later. Sorry, I have to stop and correct myself here. I meant to say a little earlier, but I get mixed up when counting BC dates backwards. So that's why I messed that up. So the destruction of the first temple by the Babylonians was in around 586 BC. Okay, sorry, back to the episode. So it's very much a composite work. The the identification of this passage in, in Kings with Deuteronomy was only made fairly recently. And by fairly recently, I mean about a century ago. Oh, so they didn't realize that that was Deuteronomy until 100 years ago? Yeah, correct. Wow, I thought that's what you said, but I had to hear it again. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing, too. Uh, yeah, because a modern biblical scholarship only really kicked off in around oh, 1800 uh, and seriously got going in the 1820s. And it wasn't until then that scholars actually started form and text criticism of the Old Testament. Would the, would the Hebrews have known, though, what they meant at the time when Kings was written? Not that I know of, no. There, there, was no. there was no tradition, as far as I know, that the passage that you just read referred to the book of Deuteronomy. Amazing. Well, that just changes my whole thoughts in my head about the whole thing. <laughs> that's, that's okay. In, in fact, I suspect that if modern uh, Jews thought it referred to anything, they thought it probably referred to the whole Torah. I see. All right, well, have I learned something again? See, you, we're all learning stuff. So then it was all added up. But what, what they, what, so in other words, what Josiah was presented with was the law, and the law was, there's a lot in there, right? I mean, it was, I mean, it's really, so basically, to cut to the chase a little bit, there was, it was sort of like to fit with their political events that were going on at the time. Yeah, the background seems to be, well, firstly, the traditional line, of course, is that the kingdom of Judah 
has always been, uh, sorry, was always a monotheistic kingdom, worshipping God, but every so often the people strayed and did something naughty. It is now believed that both the, the old kingdoms of Israel and the southern one of Judah, which survived, Judah survived the Assyrians, were always polytheist. Always. There was a monotheistic movement inside Judah, but it only became dominant probably in the, in the reign of Josiah. So they're basically a bunch of polytheists, which is something you will not get if you read the Bible. There, there are little tiny hints. For sure. There's hints in Deuteronomy, I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There are hints in Deuteronomy. You've got a quote there somewhere. He says, oh, wait, let's see, what does he say? No idols or representatives of anything in heaven, above or below the earth, or in the depths of the sea, because I am a jealous God. So he's a jealous God, doesn't he say the only God, and he says no idols or representatives of anything in heaven. Not saying like there's nothing in heaven, just not any of the other ones. And I think that there are passages, I think, in places like Isaiah, uh, etc., where the old polytheism really does come through, mm-hmm. where, say, the prophet refers to uh, the council of the gods. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, one of the confusing things is that Elohim, which is one of the names of God, is a plural. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so it could be God or Godza. And in general, all these other gods are basically vanished from the tradition, but they do survive and reemerge as angels in, in later Judaism. The good ones and the bad ones from the other people are devils, I guess. Uh, well, uh, I think they're considered to be, well, they're fallen angels. Oh, doesn't Baal, Baal's like a devil now, isn't he? Yeah, Baal, Baal is a devil. I suppose they also, um, well, actually, I think one thing unique to Judaism in either its polytheistic or monotheistic forms is that it never had demons, unlike the Canaanites' religions and all the others who have a whole bunch of independently created evil beings, the Israelites never seem to have got around to that. And there's only one little remnant, there's only one tiny little thing in, and I forget where, could it be Deuteronomy? No, no, it's somewhere else. Uh, There's only one remnant in the Bible of that, and that is, um, you know, the scapegoat? The scapegoat. I remember you talking about it in your podcast, actually, but I don't remember personally, I don't remember it exactly either. (laughs) The Satan, not the Satan, that's different. That's the adversary, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hasatan is the adversary. And throughout the Old Testament, Hasatan is God's best friend. Ah, and, right. And chief bureaucrat. Yeah. And he often acts as, quite literally, the devil's advocate. Yes. <laughs> right. He's not the evil devil, right? Oh, no, he's not evil at all. He's just pointing out to God, hey, you know, this guy, Job, he's not as good as he thinks he is, okay? Do you think we ought to teach him a lesson? No, it was some demon, Azazel or something, where, you, where you, uh, you get this goat and you mumble words over it and you send him out into the wilderness and the goat takes away all the sins from the people. Oh, that's convenient. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Isn't it? Do you have to kill him then, the goat? Do you have to, do you have to sacrifice the goat? And I'm just dredging this up from memory. I think there are two goats. You get to keep one and eat it. Okay. And, and you have to let the other one go. 
carrying all your sins with it. And I'm sure that that, that goat was the happier goat. I'm sure. Yeah, I imagine. I guess it depends on your sins. Yeah. <laughs> what, what you do. If you see some goat acting wild out in the woods, you'll know he's the one. Stay away from him. And if you have a neighbor who's like really bad and you see a death, like a goat being really bad in the woods, just keep away from that goat. <laughs> yeah, so um, see, that's what happens. We'll go all over the place. So, yeah, I think that they were, it seems like from what I'm reading it and from what I understand about the time and what was going on in Judah at the time, a lot of it being that the Israelites from the northern kingdom, you know, kingdom of Israel, were still using some of, doing a lot of their previous uh, religious ceremonies, like in the, they have the groves and like to Asherah and things like that, right? And the posts. And some people, like they said, Manasseh had his son walk through the fire, and they're specific in Deuteronomy, like, you know, don't have your children walk through the fire, don't have sacred posts, only the Levites, et cetera, et cetera. And it seemed like convenient to to change what was happening, you know, get this certain class of the priests, these Levites, and get rid of the other priests. Actually, just on the notion of groves, that comes from the King James Bible. But when they produced the King James Bible, they came across this word Asherah. And they had no idea what it meant, really. So they looked at the context and said, mm, okay, yeah, sacred posts and groves. And Asherah's a grove. Oh. Nowadays, of course, it's Asherah was a goddess. Mm, of course. Yeah, not a little clump of trees, but a real, but a, but a goddess. And, and it's the exact equivalent of Astarte. Right. Or, yeah. or Ashtati. She's God's wife. Yeah, yeah, exactly, God's wife. So when he has a wife, you know, anyway, <laughs> um, yeah. so, but at this point they, he, there was Asherah, but I wonder if he was supposed she was supposed to be Yahweh's wife or just a goddess, but, or something like that. But so they, but they, so Grove really meant worship to Asherah and there was at worship of Asherah right in the temple, right? Yes. As far as we know, there are numerous passages, I think. Referring to King Hezekiah, who's Josiah's grandfather or great-grandfather. He'd be the great-grandfather, yeah. Great-grandfather, okay. There are specific references to Hezekiah getting rid of all the evil idols that Solomon, Solomon of all people, put into the temple. Ah, right. That was after he had his epiphany and he was sick, I think, and then, then God made, let him have a, his child. I mean, Hezekiah seems to be the one who kicked off the monotheistic reform movement because it was in his reign that all the Israelite refugees were fleeing into his little kingdom of Judah after Assyria. So Hezekiah seems to have kicked it off. And then a couple of generations later, Josiah concluded it. And one of the big centerpieces of Josiah's thing was the discovery of this book of the law. What do you think? Do you think it was discovered or you think it was part of I mean, we'll never know. I mean, it seems convenient that, that whatever like one group of people were trying to push, all of a sudden the book shows up that God is pretty much on your side. Uh, I, I suspect that the scroll that was discovered, which is the central eight chapters of Deuteronomy, had been around for quite a while, and it was a key text of this monotheistic reform movement, which had never really got much traction until the time of Hezekiah and Josiah. I, I don't think they wrote it on the spot, but they just finally said, oh, here's our chance. 
we now have an opportunity to become the dominant religious power in the kingdom. So let's show him our sacred book. I mean, I think that I totally am cynical about it. I think they may not have wrote it that minute. Obviously, it took a while, but I feel like it was a whole plan. It just seems too specific to the time. You know, like the Asherahs, if, you know, they were groves or what, but if they're Asherahs and then the walking through the fire, like how would Moses have known about walking through the fire? When was, when was Moses supposed to have come out? Like 1400 BC? Right. So they, their language, the writing wouldn't even have been the same. So obviously we know Moses didn't write it, but when? And that's my opinion. I just, I'm cynical about it. I think somebody, some real smart high priest said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to write this thing. We're going to tell a king that we saw it. I mean, he became king at, what, like 12, I think, or 8. He was pretty young. Yeah, he was 8 when he became king. That must get into your head. You know, like you must have a pretty good sense of yourself, at, you know, chosen by God to be king since you're 8. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that always works out well, doesn't it? Right. A, a, a young child has supreme power, is surrounded by sycophants, always works out a treat. Yeah. But I could just imagine, too, like they had somebody who was in his ear all the time, you know, you're chosen by God. You are, you know, they were in a theocratic society. So here's this guy, 26 years old. It's not the same as 26 today, but it's still 26. And someone says, you know, or he, Josiah was in on it. That's what I wonder. Maybe Josiah was in on the whole thing, you know. Like, here's how we're going to do it. We're going to tell him we found a squirrel. Obviously, this is conjecture. And it's sacrilege, too, I'm just saying. We, we don't know for sure. No, we, we don't know, but I, I suppose it was just the result of a, a factional power struggle. That's the way I'm trying to say, yes. Whether Josiah was part of it or, or not, or it's just the priests doing their usual sort of right. power trippy things. Right. Um, they were very, um, they were very, the whole, you know, all the people were very superstitious, not just Hebrews, you know, I'm not bragging on them. I did a lot of study on Ezra Haddon at the time. And as and that's apropos, too, because the treaties, the Ezra Haddon succession treaties are very similar. The Deuteronomy is very similar to a lot of the language in there, as you say. We should get to that because that's hysterical. But he was very, so Ezra Haddon was, he had a rash on his face, and um, they think he, and he had a rash all over his body. He was very sickly. Could have been, he could have had lupus. That's the one thing that they say he may have had. And a skin rash was one of the curses of seeing the moon god. So he was like freaked out all the time about why seeing the moon god was mad at him. He was always fixing things. And like I said, like in Haran, there was the, the big episode where they said somebody was going to, scene was going to take Ezra Haddon down. There was a huge um, purge. There's one line in the Babylonian Chronicles, like Ezra Haddon killed all his generals. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, they found out there was all kind of unrest. You know, it was just that kind of time, you know, where people were very superstitious. You know, we're talking the 600s BC. So I could just imagine, like I say, the priest or somebody brings this book, and it just seems so specific to me. Like all the things you talked about that was going on since since Hezekiah, since the Assyrians took the northern kingdom away, and all this stuff. I mean, as far as I read that, then Josiah, his reforms also involved like killing and burning all the other priests, right? The central program of Deuteronomy, uh, which it often refers to, is all the worship has to be centralized at Jerusalem, mm-hmm. and all religious sacrifice has to be conducted at Jerusalem at the temple. If you hearken back to Genesis, what the patriarchs did, Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob, etc., it's quite clear. 
they, they sacrifice all over the place, right? Mm-hmm. They'll have a little altar somewhere. And, and these rural altars seem to have been a feature of the Hebrews' history. But now in this reform program, what the priests of the temple are saying are, no, 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 no. All those fake priests out in the countryside with their fake altars, we got to get rid of them. So they are cementing their power in Jerusalem. Where it stayed for a long, even when they left and came back, it went right back into Jerusalem, right? That was Jesus' whole beef. He was fighting with them in the temple. I mean, basically, uh, the program worked brilliantly. Yeah, it was great. It was good. I mean, 600 years. <laughs> well, even now, the temple is still a center, isn't it? Well, yeah, that's right. He skipped a couple of thousand years in between, but came, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, because it's always been there, yeah. Did you have to buy a special sheep? Do you still have to buy a special sheep from the priests, or can you? I mean, I'm not being silly, but I know that was sort of a thing, right? You had to, like, you couldn't just bring your own sheep or your own chicken. Yeah, I, I think the justification the priests had was that you could only use good old uh, Jewish money to buy your thing. And apparently, you know, right through to Roman times, the Jews weren't that brilliant about money. They often used Phoenician coins. And of course, through Greek and Roman times, it then became Greek and Roman money. And you can't possibly spend pagan money to buy a sacrifice. No, 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 no. You've got to go to the priest. You exchange your pagan money for good Jewish coinage. And then you give the coinage back to the priest. And voila, you get your pigeon or, or whatever. And now you can sacrifice. So basically, they invented a bank. Oh, good. That's the money changers and the, the Jesus threw out of the temple. Uh, and one of the things I think people don't realize about the money changers is that they were not considered evil in Judaism. They were an essential part of the system. Sure, definitely. Money is a social tool, very important. <laughs> Otherwise, you have to carry a lot of sheep around with you. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so that seems to me like that was the point. Like, we're going to centralize it all. And then through the whole, if you know, if you ever, I'll even put a link in the notes, like just a YouTube, um, you know, guy reads it to you. I mean, they go on and on about not just the Asherah, but about the Levites. He keeps bringing up the Levites. Was, you know, well, because the Levites don't have their own money and their own stuff, you have, the Levites have to do all this. That's all it reads to me. Actually, can I read some of the laws from the Central Yeah, that's what I, so you read my mind. I was going to say, Gary, let's get into it, because there is such a lot. It is very interesting. It really is. I mean, it's a great work of ancient literature. Now, firstly, the thing to remember is that Deuteronomy is supposedly... Uh, written by Moses, okay? So, so he is the supposed author. Uh, and by the way, Deuteronomy, uh, in Hebrew it's called uh, Devarim, which are, these are the words, because they are the opening words to it. Uh, Deuteronomy comes from the Greek and basically means a copy of the teaching or maybe second law. Deuteronomy is so named because it's viewed as an amplification and rehash of all the other laws which have gone into the Torah. The Torah, of course, are the five books of Moses. Deuteronomy is the last of these books, which is a little bit weird because the book before Deuteronomy is Numbers. Numbers would make a, a perfectly normal and fitting conclusion to the Torah, which would make it the four books of Moses. Because the story of Moses basically concludes in Numbers, his impending death is confirmed. The land of Canaan's allocated. Joshua's appointed 
is appointed to his successor. And we look forward to the climax, the actual conquest in the book of Joshua, and then Deuteronomy happens. I'm sorry, you know, I'm just thinking of those to me because I'm going to say it anyway. It just reminds me, at the time, some of the people must have thought this was like Trump putting the Sharpie on the hurricane. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, wait, what? <laughs> at the time, you know, now it's so thousands of years ago. To us, it's still ancient. But then it was like, wait, we already have these books. Now this one. <laughs> and here's an example of the programmatic nature of the book. Uh, Deuteronomy 12.13 Take care not to sacrifice your burnt offerings in any place you like, but only in the place that the Lord will choose in one of your tribal territories. There you shall sacrifice your burnt offerings, and there you shall observe all that I enjoin upon you. Now, these are supposedly the words of Moses. Right. So there's no, there's no capital of Jerusalem. There's no country of Israel. Moses is talking on the other side of the Jordan to the Israelites who are about to conquer Canaan. There he is addressing his people, and he says, hey, well, you know, one of these days, we'll have a capital, we'll have a country, it'll be great, and you got to do this stuff. He's going, After you, if you, if you got a big job ahead of you, you still got to kill all these people on this, <laughs> over those mountains, but when it's going to be fine. And after that, this is how you do it. A couple of centuries later, don't worry, it'll just go by in a flash. Just write this. Who's writing it? I guess somebody was writing it down is the, is the idea. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. you you take it. Like, whatever else you got, because you, you got this. This is awesome. Hey, so you know what? I think we're going to cut this off here, and we're going to come back, and Gary's going to tell us some more laws. And he's also going to tell us about the Deuteronomist editors and how they edited different parts of the Bible. Don't miss it. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code GLOW.